Well, good morning, Harmony, and uh, all friends that are listening in. I'll give some uh, shout-outs to people I know are listening in Indiana and uh, down in North Carolina, as well as Florida and some other places. It's kind of fun to uh, bring the gospel message from Harmony into your homes, and thank you for listening. Um, I had our kids sing. I hope everybody did a great job at home, and if I hear that they didn't, I'm going to upgrade our spyware, so you better uh, make sure we sing with the kids when we have the opportunity. There's a reason I picked that song, because the wise man, which one was the smart one? The person who built his life on what Jesus said. Jesus said, the one who listens to my words and does what I say is like a man who builds his house on the rock. So that's where the wisdom is, and that relates completely to our message today. Uh, Those of you who are tuning in new, we have been in a series in the book of Hebrews, and uh, we've been up to chapter 6. If you want to find your way there, read in your own Bible. I will have the words on the screen in a few minutes for the text of today. But my title today is called Money Talks, and I want you to know that it has nothing to do with a tithing message. That'll probably come up next week because it's in the text to follow. It has nothing to do with uh, financial management or anything like that. It's not even a lesson on greed, although people can make an application from it. No, this is simply saying that if you look at our currency... And I have a picture of a silver dollar there you can look at, and I have here a $20 bill. You won't be able to read it, but I can. All of our currency says this little phrase, in God we trust. In God we trust. You can probably read it on the coin there, right under the head, which is a reflection of our founding roots where we believed in at least a supreme being, a divine providence that was ordering our steps, and we believed that uh, he was guiding our country's success, if you will. And uh, the point is, in God we trust. If we let our money speak to us, it does in fact talk to us and tells us what we should do. We should trust in God. Trusting God means believing in his word. That's the point of the song about the wise man, that Jesus said, if you're trusting me, you're trusting the Father in heaven, you'll trust what I say. Listen to how Jesus catalogs his own words in this passage out of Matthew 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Heaven and earth will lose its force, it will peter out, it'll disappear, it's going to move off the scene. That's what the language means in the Greek. But my word will stand, even when all of that falls into decay. That's probably why there's so much encouragement to trust in the word of the Lord in the scripture. And uh, I'm going to try to connect those dots because people will often talk about, I have faith, I have faith. Faith in what? You want to make sure you're trusting in what God has promised and what he has said that can be assured. And the importance of faith, oh, we can't, we can't overstate it. I, um, I, you guys know I, I get the newspaper in this last week because all of the sports teams are held up with the coronavirus. Uh, they're desperate for some news. So there was a great article this week about the best sports movies. 
Well, at least it filled up a page, and it was a great article, and at the top of the list was the movie Hoosiers. And that actually motivated my wife and I to watch it, and it's a great film, and uh, talks about a, a coach coming into a little small town team called Hickory in Indiana, and how that team at first doesn't trust that coach. And they give him a hard time, but eventually they start paying attention because he has their best interest at heart, and they go to the state finals. It's an amazing story because they finally trust their coach. That's why it's impossible to please God without faith. And without faith, Hebrews 11 says, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. You've got to believe that he's coaching you for your ultimate good and for his glory. And his glory is your ultimate good, whether you realize it or not. So this whole issue, money's talking to us today. In God we trust. I want to talk today about trust. And there's a story revealed in this next passage of scripture. And the timing's perfect. Last week we celebrated Resurrection Sunday the text that we're talking about today in Hebrews chapter 6, starting in the 13th verse, tells a story that relates to resurrection, as a matter of fact. Let's look at the context if we can. I'm going to read it in just a minute, but before we do, the context of chapter 6, if you were to take the time to read it, you would see that the author is encouraging Christians to stand firm, stick to their guns, believe in Jesus, trust him, in times of trial. In their day, back in those first centuries, it was the risk of being persecuted. In our day, we're in kind of a trial too, all right? It's not as severe as that, but it is aggravating and it's inconvenient. In some places, it's touching lives and families with severe sickness, death, sometimes economic difficulty. A lot of that is happening all around us. That's the context. And the author is saying, Be faithful and diligent. Push forward so that you may be, let me just read the last verse before our present text, Hebrews 6.12, the second half of the verse, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. True faith is belief and action. Belief and action. Those two words, faith, I believe, patience, I stick, to it. The word for patience is an interesting Greek word, macrothumia, burn long, burn slow. I'm patient when people are obnoxious to me and I don't give them what they deserve. That's called a slow burn. And when I stick to my guns in spite of difficulties, that's that kind of patience, long-suffering, steadfastness, Stay steady, the author of Hebrews is saying. And I've been trying to encourage us on our uh, fireside chats as well as in the word to stay steady. God is sovereign. He's got this and we're going to get through it. Whether uh, we inherit promises that are huge or just a few little ones, there's a big promise of eternity. That's the main one we want to inherit. But there are promises, I believe, for Christians to lay their hands on, so to speak, inheriting them by faith and patience. So that brings us to our portion today. All of that was simply by introduction. Here we go. I want you to follow along if you have your Bible open 
on uh, Hebrews chapter 6, starting in the 13th verse, and permit me to make comments. This is divided into three screens, and I'm going to make some comments, especially at the end of the second and third. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. That's God swearing by himself. We'll get to this. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And thus having patiently waiting, macrothumia, that's, that's Abraham, patiently waiting, sticking with it, staying steady, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than, them, than themselves, and with them an oath is given as confirmation. It's the end of every dispute. We make a promise in court, that settles it. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath in order that by two unchangeable things, two unchangeable things, God's word, which is trustworthy by itself, and on top of his word, his promise that he'll keep his word, an oath, he cannot lie, it's impossible for God to lie that we may have strong encouragement a word that can be translated as comfort, God coming alongside of us. We who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us. You may notice that phrase, fled to ref for refuge. It's in the song we sang, how firm a foundation ye saints of the Lord. Wonderful passage of scripture reflected in the words, how firm a foundation you saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say, friends? What more can he say than to you who he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? There's another passage of this, a portion of this song that comes out in the next part of the passage we're reading. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. That was an early Christian symbol of security in Christ, an anchor, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil. There it is, within the veil. The last verse says, That soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Comes out in this. We have entered within the veil. We hold on to that anchor cord, if you will, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. We'll unpack that next week. But let's just see that picture of trusting Jesus. There's an anchor inside the veil. That's not the earthly temple. That's the heavenly holy of holies, there's an anchor there. We can't see it with our eyes now, but when we hold on by faith, we can feel that solid cord anchored securely in heaven. We have a hope that is eternal. I like what F.F. F. Bruce said about this. We are refugees from the sinking ship of this present world order. Soon to disappear, our hope is fixed in the eternal order where the promises of God are made good to his people in perpetuity. You know what that means? Forever, forever, forever. That's what it means. We're moored to an immovable object. It is God himself 
who has given us access to him through his son, Jesus. Awesome little section. Well, this portion is talking about the event that happened in in Abraham's life. Those of you who have your note pages uh, from uh, emails, we have this listing, and I want you to know I'm not going to unpack every single thing there, but you see the father of the faith listed, Abraham, that's what he's called. We're his children by faith because we've believed in his promised Redeemer that his life's highlights, the high peaks of his life, are in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 22. Here's what it talks about. In Genesis 12, it basically is the beginning of the story of Abraham, where God calls him out of Ur of the Chaldees and says, I want you to go to a land that I'm going to give to your, your ancestors, who you don't even have a child yet, but they're coming. And so this is a promise I'm giving you, and Abraham obeys and he goes out. And in that promise, God says to him, I'm going to make you a blessing. In you, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. A profound restatement of the gospel of salvation. It was first mentioned in Genesis when Adam fell and God intervened on behalf of the human race and said, The eventual seed of Eve, that child, one day will come who will crush the head of Satan. Three guesses who I'm talking about. I think you know. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the seed of Abraham that everybody was anticipating. That's chapter 12. God gives his word that all the families of the earth will have access to salvation through the Lord Jesus. That's the beginning. Chapter 15. You know, Abraham's getting older and older. Nothing's happening. He's getting nervous. He says, well, I do have some relatives over in Damascus. And God says, no, it's going to be your son physically that's going to be the beginning of this great people, this great nation. No adoption. He makes a promise. And in that chapter, we read this interesting word. And Abraham believed in the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Famous quoted by the Apostle Paul, talking about how we rest in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and gain eternal life. But then chapter 22 comes. Now Isaac has been born. You know that uh, Abraham got a little impatient and listened to his wife, and Hagar became uh, a surrogate mom and uh, gave birth to Ishmael. By the way, uh, brothers and sisters, not something I recommend by any means. Didn't work out well at all. But now, Isaac is on the scene, and somewhere in that process, the Bible tells us that God tests Abraham and says, I want you to take Isaac, your son, your only son who you love, and sacrifice him on a mountain that I will show you. How willing would you be? We read these things like there's no pathos involved. There's tons of it. This man must have been freaked out when he heard this and stressed and dreaded it, probably had sleepless nights up to the day that he got up early and loaded up his donkey and brought his son with him to offer him as a sacrifice. Listen to what uh, the commentator William Lane has to say about this, and I love this reference. 
The solemn promise, strengthened by an oath, reaffirmed God's earlier promise that Abraham's descendants would be as innumerable as the stars of the heavens. Abraham had made listening to the voice of God the predominant disposition of his life. If there was ever a time when he would have wanted to close his ears and become hard of hearing, this would have been it, right? At this moment. Abraham's experience, even when he couldn't understand God, get this, when he couldn't understand God, have you had seasons when you don't understand them? I'm not sure I can count. Maybe you can't either. Maybe you're in one. Demonstrated, here's what it demonstrated, Abraham's experience, even when he couldn't understand God, demonstrated that God can be trusted. His word of promise is fully reliable. It sets the tone, really, what we're looking at, for what happens when he obeys. Here's how Hebrews explains the way this worked out. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Did you catch that? When he was tested, and we all will be. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son, It was he whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able, here it is, to raise men even from the dead if necessary, which he also received him back as a type. Abraham actually gave a permanent illustration. God elicits a perfect picture of himself Through Abraham, a person not holding back even his own beloved son for the sake of eternal benefit. A picture of the nature of God in Abraham. God is so pleased with that response of not only hearing God, but choosing to trust in spite of a dark cloud resting on him that he makes the promise of, I solemnly swear, Raising his right hand, if you could visualize God saying, I swear on myself. Think about that. If I can, just take a sidebar for a minute. What about swearing? There are people who think if you go to court, you're not allowed to swear because Jesus said, don't swear by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But what Jesus was saying was, tell the truth for crying out loud so you don't have to prove it. Make it your habit to tell the truth. If you do have to swear... Even God did, so obviously it's not sin in itself. Some of you might remember that classic movie, The Princess Bride, where uh, we're going to deliver him to the dread pirate Robert's ship. And uh, he says, I swear it will be done, but he's lying through his teeth. You can't take something like that seriously. But when kids are trying to tell something serious, I saw this, I swear it, I saw it with my own eyes. We use words to try to point out that we're telling the truth. I cross my heart and hope to die. I swear on my grandmother's grave. Uh, you know, it gets harder and harder and more, um, more serious, kind of like Ralphie, you know, my dog dare, triple dog dare, you know, this breach of etiquette. It gets more serious the more emphasis you're trying to make. Eventually you get really serious and say, I swear on a Bible, you know. Or I think about going to court, hand on Bible, raising hand, whatever it is, I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. 
as you swear, the authority that you're swearing upon goes up and up. Well, you can't get any higher than God himself. He says, I swear on myself. I'm the ultimate truth teller. It doesn't get any more serious than that. A legal, valid guarantee, a certification, if you will, that this is done. It's a done deal. The promises of God are a done deal for us. His promise to give us eternal life if we run to Jesus for refuge is a done deal. That's the big promise every one of you as a child of God has the right to lay hold of. But can I encourage you that there are more promises than that? We should be encouraged by verses like this. I won't read the whole thing. It's interesting. We're back to the subject of money here. Hebrews 13, 5, be free from the love of money because he himself has said, this is the important part, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? It's a quote from Psalm 118, which says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Better to trust the Lord than to trust in princess. Better to trust in the Lord than to trust the stock market or your bank account or whatever it might happen to be. It's better to trust in God. I will never desert you, nor will I leave you. That's a sure word of promise. Let me bring it down into our shoe letter. Le- letter that, that leather, the leather, if I may. Because some of us, are, we're already, oh yeah, I already got the gospel. I already, I'm already on my way. Let me read from True Discipleship by William McDonald, a little article on faith that I always find encouraging. Now, true faith is always based upon some promise of God, some portion of his word. This is important. Can I just say, duh? Duh? No, and the reason I say that, God hasn't spoken to me. Oh, man. You're not listening. Your faith is based on some promise that he quickens. The believer first reads or hears some promise of the Lord. The Holy Spirit takes that promise and applies it to his heart and conscience in a very personal way. The Christian becomes aware that God has spoken to him directly with utter confidence in the trustworthiness of the one who has promised. He reckons the promise as sure as if it were already fulfilled. Or perhaps it's a commandment rather than a promise. To faith, there's no difference. If God commands, he enables If he bids Peter walk on water, Peter can be sure that the needed power will be given. Ooh. What kind of promises, what kind of things should you lay hold of by faith? Abraham was a bit of a model. And if the promises are true, let me show you one last encouraging verse from Hebrews 13. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. He's called us to step up, not just to get inside the veil when we die. He's called us to lay hold of some promises here and now. And I don't care whether they're big or small. Maybe there is a big one. I'm going to close my sermon with a big story. But uh, sometimes they're smaller. You know, if you're sitting around thinking, well, 
uh, I'm a good, you know, I'm a good person. I don't cheat on my wife. I, uh, I go to church. I, I even do devotions. I put money in the plate. I don't do bad things. I'm good. There's more. That's not standing on the promises. That's sitting on the premises. There's a difference. And that's an old preacher joke, by the way, so it's not original with me. Learn to trust him for something else. And remember, you'll be tested. God reserves the right to test the hearts of his people. I wonder what he finds out sometimes. You know, it's a guarantee that God wants us to grow. Speaking of guarantees, his promises are good. If he says it, it's true. When he gives an extra promise, that's even better. You know, uh, if you want to make it rain, all you have to do is wash your car. I'm not kidding. This is the truth. Friday night, I had the snow tires taken off my car. Guess what I woke up to? An inch and a half of snow in Pine Bush. It's like a guarantee. It's a sure thing, right? And of course, that's a bit of a joke, but God's words are guaranteed. And if the Spirit quickens something to you, go after it. Trust him. Maybe he wants you to increase your reading of the scripture. Maybe he wants you to trust him with giving. You've never tried it before or move you toward generosity. And, you know, you might be tested the first time you start giving. You run into a financial difficulty. Hello, a challenge. Trust him anyway. Stick with it. Trust him. Maybe it's to lose weight. Maybe it's to be a kinder person. Maybe it's to save your marriage. Maybe it's for God to open doors. One of our assignments for this year that the COVID-19 thing has kind of jammed us up is pray for one. Maybe he's pushing you to pray intensely for one and not let go until he delivers the promise that he's spoken to you. Whatever it is, I'm just encouraging not to sit on the premises, but to lay hold of the promises. Because there are things God wants to do in changing our lives and making the Christian life exciting. Well, you know what? I'm done. I've tried to make these a little shorter. Those of you who come to Harmony when we're open, you know that I go for 45 minutes and I'm uh, trying to wean myself off of that for your sakes because listening to me this long has got to be boring. I hope I haven't totally put you to sleep. But if you got a nap, good for you. Here's an old story. I remember this. I think I was in seminary when it happened. A church was getting blessed by God and it was growing, but they were up against an impasse. They wanted to build a larger facility. They needed parking space. They needed all kinds of stuff, but they had no finances to do it. They were butted up against the mountain and they decided to make it an issue of intense prayer and lay hold of promises from God. And one day, a construction company approached the leadership of the church and said, you know, we're doing this project a half a mile or a mile, I don't remember the exact details, this is a true story from what I recall, about a half a mile away, we're going to build this thing, and we will pay you to take that mountain out from behind your property to move that land, that dirt, over here where we need it for fill. We'll pay you to take the mountain out. So they not only moved the mountain by faith, but they even paid somewhat toward their new facility to the glory of God. I don't know what promises God has for us, but I'll tell you right now, I don't think we've laid hold of all that he has in mind for us. Hey, let me pray for you. Lord, keep our people and uh, continue to bring those who have 
picked up COVID-19 and have done better, those who have not and are at risk, protect. But Lord, we want to not just survive this, we want to thrive past this. And we ask that you'd build us up in our most holy faith. Bless your people and those listening in who are part of Harmony and those outside in the name of Jesus. And Lord, quicken faith, maybe for the first time, in those who may be hearing us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people out there, amen. God bless you all. Take care.